This Ace Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Check out their spring collection. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. How are you, David Feldman? Yeah, I'm not going to make you cry. Yeah, don't make me cry. Now, now, but here's the thing, and I love Marty. I've known Marty for a long time. Marty, you talk baseball for a living. Nobody cares how hard it is. You're fine. You know what I'm saying? You're not, break, you're not breaking a sweat, Marty. You're, you're all right. We're not getting a sunburn, and we're not getting calluses? That's what I'm doing. There's no heavy lifting. Where where are you today, by the way? What are you doing? What 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 is your world? Are you are you are you Pac twelve? Are you NBA? What are you doing today? I am at the uh, Turner Broadcasting Studios in Atlanta, uh, getting ready to do the uh, TBS Tuesday Night Game of the Week tomorrow. Uh, they have uh, the Red Sox versus the Braves, so uh, it's a lot of buzz going on here because obviously the Warriors are on TNT tonight. Yeah. So Shaq and Charles and Kenny, they're all walking around the halls here somewhere. If, if people don't know, it's amazing. You fly out to Atlanta, no matter where the game is, you fly out to Atlanta once a week to do this game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I'd rather be at the ballpark, but this is the new reality that we that we have now. Uh, we do a lot of remote productions. And so every week, no matter where the Tuesday night game is, I'm in Atlanta. I'm in the Atlanta studios. Uh, I'm starting to recognize the flight attendants on the planes. Yeah. Uh, the TSA agents are all giving me a big hi. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, we, I have no idea what time it is, but other than that, it's great. We, we've been talking about Vita Blue, and we'll get into Vita, but it's something that I've been addressing because I'm like old man River when talking about pitching, but Vita helps me explain this. It, it's like historical figures, there's certain things that they did that make them historical figures, right? And there's certain things that lead to other things. Like people want to tell you wins don't matter, but now I start looking at a guy like Vida, and we look at innings pitch. We look at strikeouts. Like, to become an all-time great, you've got to do things. You've got to have this volume, which all of that helps lead to wins, but we'll stay away from wins. And, and speaking of all the different sports that you've done for all these different years, I've been saying, you know, every game has an object, whether it's a basketball, it's a baseball, it's a football, it's a hockey puck. The stars are the guys that handle the object. They're the stars. When we're watching the Warrior game, the guys who have the ball the most, Steph Curry, LeBron James, they're the stars, right? We see it in football. The quarterbacks handling the football to the running back, to the wide receivers, it's the stars. We're getting to a point in baseball where the guy that handles the ball, it's now just an assembly line of no-name relievers, and to me, when we look at, you know, how we sell the game, how we view the game, how people love the game, people from all around the country wanted to see this fireballer, this young left-hander. His name's Vida Blue, just the name alone and the stats. I want to pay my money to go watch Vida Blue pitch. I don't care if my team's the Tigers or it's the Twins or it's the Yankees or whatever. Vita Blue put butts in the seats on the road because he was a starting pitcher. I'm afraid for baseball. This young generation like Cody, I don't think they get it. Like, the guy who handles the ball should be important. And somehow baseball, 
we're historically with starters. We don't even really have star closers anymore. It's like I, it, baseball's changed so much. We we don't we're not going twenty years from now. Will we have like a Vita Blue? No, and what worries me is is what we saw last week with with Mason Miller, not the fact that he got pulled with a no hitter in the after seven innings. That offended me. Uh, I understand why because that's the world we live in now, the way we protect these players. But this is what kind of bothered me: is Mason Miller thought he was coming out after six. He didn't even think he was going to get the seventh, because that's how we are teaching starting pitchers now. We are not teaching starting pitchers to go nine innings. Starting pitchers have this imaginary number of 100, right? That was just sort of plucked out of That's going to be the magic number, 100. And if you get to 100 pitches, well, then you're going to be done. Um, and that's the mindset pitchers are being brought up in. And that's, that's like, okay now. For, for me, that's not okay. If you're the starting pitcher, if you were a Vita Blue, or Dave Stewart, or a Tim Hudson, you were going to go nine innings because that's your job. You were to start the game and you end the game. That's what you're trying to do, and that's your mindset. And you started to see a change over the last 20, 25 years where, oh, no, well, we got to go to the bullpen. We only got 100 pitches. I don't like that mindset. And I, I that's, you know, I didn't like Mason Miller coming out. And this is a maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to throw a no-hitter as a rookie. That's something Vita Blue did. Right in 1970, he threw a no hitter in September. Um, you don't know if he's going to get that chance again. It could be a special evening. Uh, but more concerning to me was his mindset was like, Yeah, I thought I was coming out after six. I, I just can't. That's the type of thinking that I can't get behind. You grew up a kid in Oakland. Your favorite team was the Oakland Athletics. You're a baseball guy. No offense to the other teams in the Bay Area, but you're a baseball guy, even though. NBA comes around, you act like you're an NBA a guy. I know you're a baseball guy. Um, Vita Blue, when you're a little kid, Vita Blue's a star. Uh, Vita Blue, first it's just the name, Vita Blue. I mean, that, that's the name as a kid you're just going to gl- grab onto. It's just such a unique name, Vita Blue. And then you hear the story about him. For me, I was too young to remember 71, but by the time I'm a baseball fan in 73, 74, I've heard about 71. And I heard about how dominating was. And I've seen the highlights from the All-Star game at Tiger Stadium and the Blue Blazer and the magazine covers and everything that Vita brought. Uh, the first game that I remember going to as a fan, uh, bat day in 1973, Vita Blue pitched. And you saw this guy on the mound. He looked larger than life. He had the high stirrups. Uh, he looked taller than he was. The Blue Blazer, um, he was magical. And he was such a good pitcher. And for a kid in the 70s, I mean, the name, the success, winning the championships, Vita Blue was a, was a whole package for a, for a baseball fan in the 70s. No doubt about it. And, you know, just what was that like? You know, you're growing up an A's fan. Your team's in the World Series every single year. You've got stars. I mean, think about Reggie Jackson. Think about Sal Banda was a great player. I mean, we just had Joe Rudy on. He's a three-time World Series champion. He's an all-star. Gene Tennis is like a, a King Kong in the, in the World Series. I, Raleigh Fingers is doing things I wish we appreciated more. It was truly amazing. Catfish Hunter, Ken Holtzman, you go on and on and on. What was that like as a kid? You, I mean, you had like a utopia of baseball. Yeah, and I think it's what a lot of people, uh, Warrior fans, who are growing up now are going yeah. through. 
right? They think every year is going to be Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Niner fans in the 80s. It's Joe Montana. It's Jerry Rice. Uh, giant fans in the in the early part of this. It's Buster Posey. It's it's Tim Lincecum. It's Matt Cain. Uh, they don't know any better. And as a kid in the 70s, you're like, well, this happens every year. But guess what? Eventually, it changes. And I think what's interesting about Vita Blue is Vita Blue was really the last remaining guy. He pitched for the 1977 A's. Okay, everybody was gone after '76. So what happened? Why is why is Vita still there in 1977? Everybody was a free agent. They left because Vita got screwed once again by Charlie Finley. Right in 1976, what is supposed to be the the walk year uh, for these free agents? You know, Burke Campanaris and Joe Rudy and Sal Bando. They they gonna play out their contract. The reverse clause was going to be eliminated, and they were going to be free agents. Somehow, Charlie Finley convinced Vita Blue to sign a three-year contract in 1976. A three-year contract. And Vita was asked, why would you do that? You don't even like the man, Charlie Finley. He said, well, he made me a promise he wouldn't trade me, and I like being in Oakland. He goes, Vita Blue said, I like being in Oakland. I like it here. And, and he promised not to trade me. So what did... Charlie Finley do the night that Vita Blue signed this contract? He tried to sell him to the New York Yankees that night. And the reason why the Yankees wanted guaranteed that they were getting Vita Blue for that year and two more, and it also, so this sort of starts to sound familiar, it was going to lower the worth of the Oakland A's. The A's were being evaluated at about a $12 million worth. Charlie Finley's trying to sell the team to Marvin Davis in Denver, the Denver Oilmen. You get rid of Vita Blue in his contract, the worth of the A's goes down to $10 million, and it makes it more sellable. Does this all sound a little familiar? Uh, so Vita Blue does not get sold to the Yankees because Bowie Kuhn puts the kibosh on that. Best interest of baseball was his move. So now here's Vita playing the 77 season for the A's, a bad A's team. We go into 78. Vita's still a member of the A's. Charlie Finley tries to sell him to the Cincinnati Reds. He's going to, he's going to trade him for Dave Revering, who was a, was a minor leaguer, eventually did come to the A's from, for Dick Bear. But he's going to try it again. And once again, Charlie uh, Bowie Coon says, nope, best interest of baseball, not allowing this trade. Gratefully, finally, Charlie Finley was able to work out a trade with the San Francisco Giants, a multiplayer deal where it's Vita Blue and one other player going to the Giants. The A's get a whole dugout full of players back from the Giants and and and, and they asked Vita, what does it feel like to finally be traded? And uh, quoting the great Martha Luther King Jr., he says, free at last, free at last. Thank God I'm free at last. But Charlie and Vita just, and as a kid, right, Vita's your guy and they keep trying to get rid of him and you couldn't understand why you're trying to get rid of Vita Blue. Luckily, we had him for one extra year. So we now look at starting pitchers a little different. We're giving a, we give a lot more leeway with certain numbers, and you start to look at Vita Blue's numbers, knowing that Charlie Finley, as you just mentioned, messed with Vita's career. Obviously, in 72, you know, he's a young man at the height of his powers. I think of the one year he suspended, what was that, 84? Was it 84? Yeah, he missed the 84 season. Right, so... I mean, if, if you don't have this disruption of time, wasn't because of Tommy John surgery, wasn't because of, of injuries. 
if you didn't have this disruption in to- of time in his career, would he have a plaque in Cooperstown? He would have gotten a lot more support, definitely, if he had, you know, a 1972 season. He still made 23 starts in 72, but he went 6-10, and 10, and he, and it wasn't, he had a, left everybody with a bad taste in their mouth, right? He was going to go work for the plumbing company. Uh, he was a plumbing executive there. Uh, just It just left a bad taste. Still, you know, it comes back in 73 with a 21 season, 22 wins in 75. Uh, you know, 18-game winner in 76, goes to the Giants, wins 18 games, leads a team that was really not thought of to a third-place finish, and they're only six games behind the Dodgers in 78 with the Giants. You guys talked about his all-star appearances. I mean, he started the game for both leagues. Yeah, yeah he, he had a chance to be a Hall of Fame pitcher. If he doesn't lose that 72 type of season, if he doesn't lose 84, um, you know, he, he would have had a chance. He would have had numbers that were similar to Catfish Hunter, um, and again, the star power that that he would have had because uh, he was Vita Blue. He definitely would have been the star. And, you know, the other thing that gets me, and they talk about his postseason career, and they say, well, he wasn't that good in the postseason. But the thing is, he had two, well, really three of the biggest postseason games during that A's run. Game five in 72 in the ALCS, Blue Moon Odom only goes the first five. So Vida finishes the final four innings of that game, shutout style, saving a one-run lead, saving the game. I mean, the A's go to the World Series because Vida blew those four shutout innings. Oh, okay, now post-game he does the choke symbol to Blue Moon Odom to get in a fight in the clubhouse, but that's, that's swinging A's that he's going to do. Um, just, those things happen. Par for the course. <laughs> you know, but then, you know, and then game, what was it, game one of 72, he comes out of the bullpen. And gets the save in game one, another one-run game. So two huge saves. Uh, and then, of course, the ALCS game in 73 where he throws a shutout. Um, just big moments. So he gets a little knock on his postseason career, but it's better than people think. He had a couple bad starts, game six and 72 in the World Series after being in the bullpen for the whole postseason. All of a sudden, we're going to start him in game six, and it was terrible. Um, other than that, he was actually a very good postseason pitcher and a spectacular one when they needed him most in 72. You know, a lot of people look back at that era of baseball and you say, oh, it can never happen again. Well, they're kind of right because when you look at, like you can even talk about the big red machine or you look at the A's. I mean, these A's were all brought up together. They weren't guys that were traded for. They weren't guys, I mean, you're talking about draft picks from Kansas City coming to Oakland. These guys came up together. So as crazy and nutty as Charlie Finley was, he built this team. Remember, Rick Monday could have been a part of this, obviously traded for Holtzman. But, I mean, it's pretty amazing. All the draft picks, all the signings, they just worked. Now, eventually they, they would all become very expensive, but – you got to give credit. These are all home. This dynasty is homegrown, which is incredible. We just really don't see that today. Not as much, but the good teams are still built this way, I believe, through the farm system and guys coming up together. Charlie Finley was a tremendous talent evaluator. Uh, for all his other eccentricities and whatever else, he knew good ball players and he knew what made a good team. And he understood when he had those core players that, you know, a lot of them drafted when they were still in Kansas City and brings them to Oakland. And he knew he just had to fill around them. And he always was able to identify what they needed. You talk about Rick Monday. He knew they needed another starter 
to go with Vita and Catfish. So I'm going to give up my center fielder, my number one overall draft pick, to get Ken Holtzman, who's going to be a solid starter for the A's. And that worked out beautifully. Uh, you know, trading to get Ray Fossey, trading a young George Hendrick, an up-and-coming outfielder, power hitter. But I'm, I needed a catcher for this team, and I'm going to make that trade. Um, we also needed to get Dave Duncan out of here, but that's that's another part of the story. Uh, then getting Billy North, you know, to be your center fielder in 73. Uh, he was so smart that way. But that's how good teams, to me, who come up together. You know, you talk about Mulder, Hudson, Zito, right? These are all A's draft picks. Um, that's why I do get excited when I look down at the farm now for the A's. And you see some of the guys we saw in spring training, and you saw Denzel Clark, and you saw Zach Geloff, um, Soderstrom. Uh, I think you see guys who are coming up together again. I think we're seeing that next generation of guys who are coming up together, playing together, learning how to win together. And when they all come up to the big leagues together, there's going to be a familiarity with it. And I think it's going to be a big thing. I think it's going to be the next successful A's team is going to be those guys because of the fact they're all coming up together. Now, when you're walking around that building in Atlanta, do you actually do see Shaq and Charles and everybody? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty I mean, You can't miss Shaq. No. The Shaq yeah. drives the tiniest car, too. He has this very tiny car. Uh, he's basically he took out the front seat, so he drives it from the back seat. That's the only way he can fit in. Uh, He's like the largest. I'll never. You remember what? What year was the uh, All Star Game at, at, at Oracle? Was it ninety eight? Was it two thousand? Yeah, two thousand. That the more Vince Carter, Vince Carter won the dunk contest. Yeah, was that yeah, two thousand? So I remember doing a show with Tim Roy, and we're sitting there. It's the Saturday, and they're just coming out and shooting around and stuff. This before slam dunk and three point and all that, and Shaq was break dancing and got on the ground and did, like, the turtle. And you're like, how is a man this size that athletic? It's crazy. And now that, you know, Shaq's put on some pounds, he's actually lost weight, but it's crazy just – I think about his suits, how much fabric it takes just to make one of his suits. I mean, when you stand next to Shaq, it's crazy how large of a man he is. He's so he's so mammoth. And I remember it during his playing days – Right, you used to remember Manute Bull, right, seven seven, but skinny as a beanpole. Yeah, and there were other players. Sean like Bradley, very tall, but yeah, so so skinny. But now Shaq is this tall and this big. So on the basketball court, he kind of looked proportional. And he walks off the court, and you're going, "Oh my, this is a mountain of a man." And the other thing about Shaq, and I got to travel with the Lakers a little bit when he was with the Lakers. He is the nicest man. Oh my, he he. I think maybe it comes from that he's always been bigger than life his entire life, right? People have always stared at him. And some people can go into a shell. I know a lot of NBA players who are very shy outside of the basketball arena because of just being stared upon. But Shaq, just, he just loves it, and he's used to it, and he's great with people. I, I mean, if you get a chance to meet this guy, he is just as nice as can be. And it's and genuine, genuinely just a nice, happy fellow. Kevin Garnett said it. He said, I want to thank Mama and Papa Shaq for the way they raised him because if Shaq wasn't a nice guy, he would have hurt a lot of people. Oh, my God. I, here's my one Shaq story. We're on the plane. We're on the Laker plane. And uh, they like to play cards on the Laker plane. And he uh, came back, and he's, he's, he needed change. And he looked at me, and he goes, you look like you have small bills. Can you make change for me? <laughs> Oh, 
big uh, and, and Chuck, from what I understand, I've not Chuck. I've never really never interviewed him in my basketball days, but everybody seems to say Chuck's a pretty good dude. Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, people love him here in Turner. I mean, there's there's genuinely affection and love, and he's. I think the other thing they like is that he's willing to make fun of himself. He's willing to go with any antics they want, and they want to drop stuff from the ceiling on him. They want him to chase Kenny back to the – he'll do anything they want. I think he's a, he's in a really good place here, and they love him here. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but are the Warriors in trouble? No. If they lose tonight, yes, if they're down 3-1, but they've been in down 2-1 before. Uh, I, I do trust the Warriors coaching staff and the adjustments they need to make. It's troublesome because the Warriors, this is what they've been all year. They've been a bad road team. They, they shoot poorly. They throw a lot of turnovers. They struggle. But if they can somehow just stop fouling, stop turning the ball over, I think they're going to be fine. I think they know how to beat the Lakers. It's just executing. Well, when you, I have a new project, a new idea I want to throw by you. When you're not doing, I don't know, Arizona State spring football games, <laughs> when you're not doing random baseball games, when you're not doing NBA, when you have time for us back in this little baseball world here, let me know because I have something I want to throw at you. Uh, you know I want to hear it. Summer's coming. I'm going to be all yours during the summer. You mean you're not going to be doing Dion in the spring football practices at Colorado for Pac-12 Network? No, we, we take the summers off, Townie. So, uh, and that doesn't look like I have any uh, – I think the XFL and all that stuff's about ready to end. So it's, it's going to be baseball and just it's all you. Do you like anybody in the Pac-12 going into this year? Football-wise? Yeah. Yeah. This is a stack league. You have six returning quarterbacks who are all ballers, who are all winners. And then you have a couple transfer quarterbacks coming into the conference. This is going to be a very, very tough league. Uh, you got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner yeah. at USC. You have another guy who's up for the Heisman and Michael Penix Jr. at Washington and Bo Nix at Oregon. This league is going to be this is the year for the Pac-12 to make a big stand and win those non-conference games in September, something they've struggled with. This is the year to watch out for them. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Your, your reigning Heisman Trophy winner and the Trojans, their year gets ruined in week zero. San Jose State, week zero. Spartans are going down to the old Coliseum in Los Angeles. I will be there. I'm taking the day off. We're flying down. LAX, Uber over. Spartan Nation <laughs> is going to take over the L.A. Coliseum, home of the 1984 Olympics. You know, you're going to see – that's going to be a great day, by the way, down there because that's, you know, that's the first game, really the first game. He gets to play as a Heisman Trophy winner at his home stadium. It's going to be a packed house, week zero, all eyes on that game. It's going to be fantastic. 45,000 with probably about 2,000 San Jose State fans. Sounds about right. Sparty's going to travel. <laughs> I cannot. Are you going to work that game? You know, that could be a Pac-12 network game. I we, think, there's been rumors. There's been rumors. So we, we'll find out for sure the first week of June. But uh, I'd love to. I think that'd be so much fun. Dinner on me. Oh, yeah, it is. Thank you, buddy. Be well. Safe travels. Thanks, Townie. Be well. David Feldman, our A's historian. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.